Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 78 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? You guys had yourselves a great week. Last week I uh, spent some time recording with the great Alan Bybee. I'm heading back up there at the end of this week to finish six original tracks, uh, vocal tracks anyway. The mandolins were finished uh, last week, and the vocal parts were finished, and we're going up and doing harmonies. And I'm excited to get those out there, and I have some instrumental tunes that I should hopefully have worked on and done here in the next few weeks, and maybe that sounds like a release coming soon. So anyway, I'm really excited about that, and I hope you guys would be interested in checking it out. Um, this is part two with Bobby, another fantastic mandolin acquisition story in this one as well. Um, Bobby, just just a gem. So, uh, And again, thank you to Scott Napier for, for making that happen and for getting me uh, one of those sweet Bobby Osborne picks. Actually, you got me two of them, so I really appreciate it. All right, I want to thank my sponsors, as always, this week, starting right off with Peghead Nation. They got those killer streaming video courses, and if you don't even play mandolin, you can also do it in guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. And you don't play bluegrass? They got old time and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. They got a killer lineup of instructors. I mean, the best lineup of instructors out there. Uh, is in, in all these courses, I would say. You've got Sharon Gilchrist. She's got beginning mandolin, intermediate bluegrass mandolin. She's got her uh, improvisation course, which is going on. Uh, bluegrass mandolin jam favorites and the advancing mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. Follow Joe on Instagram as well. Joe just posted some killer stuff the other day. Um, he's so good. Just watch his right hand. Goodness. Um, Monroe style mandolin with Mike Compton. Melodic mandolin tunes with John Reichman. Chord melody mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish mandolin with Marla Fibish And theory for mandolin and fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation tab, and play-along tracks on plenty of tunes and songs to play. Guess what? Get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Also want to thank Northfield Mandolins. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their killer website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And go to their Instagram. It's just some of the finest mandolin pictures you're going to see out there right now. Great, great stuff. Also, Ear Trumpet Labs, Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones right from Portland, Oregon. Uh, their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. I'm actually broadcasting to you this one in the Edwina microphone right now. I love it. And their, uh, their Instagram's killer, too. Check out their live feeds. They're always posting all the different people playing. There's such a wide array of people who use these microphones. It's incredible. And, uh, and actually, uh, I believe my buddies in Wooden Wire actually uh, had a video up there. Maybe it was a picture, and they had one that they were using. So, And speaking of Austin, Texas, with Wooden Wire, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. They're beautiful. I literally still think of the mandolin of Tom's that I played when I was there doing the interview with him. I would say probably every single day. <laughs> it was just some of the sweetest tone I've ever heard. So thank you to all my sponsors. And thank you all to listen for listening. Don't forget to go to my Patreon page if you want to support the podcast. There's two different levels you can do there. And if you could just hit subscribe, maybe leave a review and follow me on Instagram and Facebook, that would be rad. All right, let's get into part two with the great Bobby Osborne. Cheers, everybody. Oh, hey, 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 by the way, um, the the... CD is out of print, Bobby and his mandolin, but you can find a full version on YouTube. I highly recommend it. Cheers, everybody. Um, I have to ask you, because so much of why you played music revolves around the Grand Ole Opry, what was it like to become a member of the Grand Ole Opry? Well... It wasn't any place but that. I mean, it was, it was, it was uh, music on the West Coast and how and uh, Midwest and all over the all over the world, you know. But they wasn't they wasn't any they wasn't any place. There was only one Grand Ole Opry, and it was in Nashville, Tennessee, and so 
they just wouldn't have, wouldn't have placed like like the Grand Ole Opry anywhere. And to become a become a member of it, it was the greatest honor that I ever was a part of in my whole life. You know, I um, it just it took it took us ten or ten or fifteen years to get uh, get a chance to to be a member of it. So and uh, this uh, this year I'll be there fifty seven years. Wow! Congratulations, that's great, man. I, I I don't know Jane Shepard before she passed away. She had been there fifty six years, and uh, I, I've been there. Well, we went there in August, August of uh, August of this year. Coming up will be fifty eight. Will make me fifty eight years there. Man, that's so cool. It's just so cool to think of, you know, to imagine you sitting there listening, you know hoping that the static's going to clear up so you can listen to music that you want to hear so you can hear these people and then to to become a member i just think that's amazing and as said, all of us is hoping that uh that belong to the opera or other people too i mean it's just the people uh the the one opera house now it, it seats five thousand people and the old ryman seated 3500 and so um in a in a normal when times were normal i mean they had a lot of times through the summertime they put on two shows so that's that's ten thousand people that got to see that grand old opera you know on, on saturday night or friday night either one and that, that's a lot of people it's it seats five thousand people on the, the opera house does right now you know and so it's it's just an honor uh it's always been a, an honor to me to every time. I mean, every time I've ever walked out there, which has been a lot of them in, in all these years here. So, I, this is probably a tough question to answer, but do you have a favorite moment that sticks out in your mind? An Opry moment from when you've been there or performed there? <laughs> I guess the first time I ever walked out on a stage down there. <laughs> think about that my knees still shaking so i don't know uh it's it's uh it's something that you've always dreamed of if you've ever had a, a dream of going anywhere in your life you know uh, everybody had a dream of being at the opry and uh with the help of the wilburn brothers uh we we, we made it to be a members of the, of the opera it's just one of the greatest uh Greatest things ever was ever happened to me. Did you did you even expect? I mean, obviously you knew that you wanted to be a successful band, the Osborne Brothers. You know, with you, but did did you ever even imagine like what an impact in in all the things that would happen for the band and all your hard work come to fruition? I mean, you guys are you guys are legends. You know, I mean, just people. People in 2021 are going to buy Osborne Brother albums for the first time and, and hear you and become fans. And I, uh, Did you ever expect like such amazing things to happen for you when you started, you know, like in 1954? Can you, could you imagine it? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's just so cool, and and that and again that you're you're still doing it, you know, you're still putting music out, you're putting these videos out there, and and um, we should talk a little bit about about the school and the roundup too here while we're while we're talking about the things that you've accomplished. Uh, let's see, uh, getting to. Uh, me with no education, I, whoever who would ever think to get a job teaching school without a, without some kind of an education, you know? But I mean, I got a couple of years of high school, but that was that was it, you know. But, uh, but teaching uh, teaching school, teaching the classes, I got. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, the easiest thing I've ever got paid for doing in my whole life, you know. Before <laughs> that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an ironic uh, twice, twist. Uh, his father taught school for one year at our school. Our building was built in 1938, and in fact, Bobby used to. Bobby would come and visit him in the 
classroom, not the exact classroom, but one of the classrooms uh, to see his dad in, in maybe 1939. Wow. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, now, do they have a basketball team? You should have joined the basketball team to show that biology teacher. Be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to play when I was going to school. That's, I wanted to play right. basketball. That would have been great yeah. to, to join the team. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to do that. But this old coach, he's seen it a different way, and I did too. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just speak on Bobby's behalf as an observer at the school and a student. I mean, I've I've reserved a spot as a, as a student the entire time I've been working with him to have that hour uh, with Bobby, and it's just incredible to see i mean first and foremost his passion is still there and it's so strong um i mean you, you know and when he's in the building in between students he's playing the mandolin you know and just to hear that sound that that iconic sound of his mandolin i mean it's unmistakable and i mean it's just so it does so much for the students i mean and, and it's it's pro level players right on down to someone learning how to make a g chord and I just, I'm from here in Hazard, near the next town over from where Bobby's from. And I would have given anything at that school, been there when I was 13. And you, I mean, you bet I would have been sitting in front of Bobby every week. And it's such a great resource to have him. And not only that, he's a, adapted to online teaching, you know. Um, this is the second semester going into where we're teaching remote. And along with Bobby Osborne Jr., his great help. He's he hasn't missed a beat. He's he's starting tomorrow teaching uh, online to our students. So it's just incredible, and it's uh, all inspiring. That's so awesome. Well, I I didn't think I could do that. You know, well, first of all, when the when the school started, why Dean Osborne is uh, is related to me, you know, and he's a, a director and. Um, he was telling me about the uh, so many of those guys that when that when they uh, when the college in Hazard, I guess, decided they was going to uh, start that program there and and hide at, at the high school there. So uh, a lot of people put in uh, filled out uh, resumes for the job, you know, and, and Dean was one of them. And so uh, when he and I, I didn't know really what was going on. I'm sitting right here at this house one night, and this lady called me from Hazard, from the college in Hazard. And I, you know, I never, I never went to school much. So <laughs> the college didn't cause she was from college. Didn't, that didn't, that didn't mean a thing to me because I didn't know nothing about no colleges. I never, never I played a bunch of them, but I never, I never went, never was in a schoolroom in one of them in my life. But uh, anyway. Um, she called me from the college, and uh, I talked to her a silent hour just about Dean, you know. And I, uh, it took me a long time to figure out. I never did figure it out, and we I hung up. And uh, next time I saw Dean, he says, "Well, I got the job." And I said, "What job?" He says, "I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach. Teach. Uh, be the director here at the at the program when we started." And I said, "Well, what program is that?" He says. We're going to teach bluegrass music here. And he says, I'd like for you to come and teach the man. And I said, why, Dean? I said, I can't teach a jackrabbit to run out through a hay field somewhere. <laughs> so uh, he, he was on to me just three or four times. I, I said, I don't think I can do that. I couldn't do a thing like that. And uh, I don't know. I just kept thinking about it. I thought one day I got to think about it. And, I thought, well, you've done everything else. Why don't you try that? You know, so I, I just thought I'd try it, and, and here I mean, it's been all these years went by, and it's called, what is it, seventeen or Scott, seventeen or eighteen years now? Yeah. You know, what I, I was thinking, uh, listening to Bobby's uh, talk about the president of the school calling him. I'm like, he's played for the president of the United States. I think he's got this uh, president of the school uh, interview nailed down. <laughs> you, as, as a matter of fact, you're the first bluegrass band to ever play the White House. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess that's right. Because well, they've been so many places. Well, there've been a lot of people played the White House, you know, but the country, country people, and um, 
but we got a chance. We were working some uh, some tours with. Uh, this is after we went to the Opry, of course, and uh, we uh, we got to be real good friends with Merle Haggard. And he's number one in the country at the time, and we had some records in the charts along about that time. And Merle had written a song that we recorded, "Shayla's Winter Love." You know, it was. So we we got acquainted with uh, with Haggard, and uh, he got a chance to go to uh, uh, oh, I, uh, where was that place up there where we played it, Scott? Uh, uh, the Los Angeles apartment. Uh, oh, Bakersfield. No, it's, it's oh, it, where the, the gambling place, the gambling halls, and stuff up there. Anyway, it's uh, I can't think of the, the name of the place, but, but it's not too far from uh, from uh, Los Angeles. But uh, uh, Lake Tahoe, that's where Lake place called uh, Lake Tahoe. They had his had his gambling yeah. places up there, and, and Hired got booked there for two weeks. And we'd been doing some road shows for him with him, so he said, "I, I want you guys to go with me." So we we took a whole band and and we. We was up there 14 days, you know, and played every night at the, in that gambling hall, you know. And so um, it, it, it's turned out real good. And we um, just, I don't know, we just got acquainted with Haggard. And, and of course, we just operated then, you know, and we just, it was good to, good to do that right there. And we, we, we did two shows a night, you know, up there for 14 <laughs> I saw, I figured up I sung Ruby twenty eight times before I left there. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was your key to the White House, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always think about a story that Bobby tells about Patsy Cline in the studio with Owen Bradley recording uh, Blue Moon of Kentucky. So that it's it's crazy to think about Bobby's there. And uh, I've heard a different, a couple of different stories, and he can tell it. And maybe he fed her some of the lyrics to the song while she recorded it. Uh, do you, do you remember uh, being with Patsy Cline, Bobby, in the studio? Yeah, I remember her. We walked in, and, and uh, she was doing "Blue of Kentucky" right then. You know, when Bradley was her producer, and he he was our producer there for a while too. And uh, she was man, she she that's the first time. I knew, knew, I met her one time before, well, after she became a member of the opera, you know, mm-hmm. and so, but, um, she was, uh, she did, she did some bluegrass songs in Blue Moon, Kentucky was one of them, and boy, it didn't sound like Bill Monroe, but brother, she's your song, they were no doubt about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I said Blue Moon of Kentucky, keep on a shining. Shine on the one that's gone and let me bloom. Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and let Bobby, me could, bloom. Bobby, could you tell Daniel the, the story about when you worked at Patty on the Turnpike and you wanted to tween it with Bill Monroe at the Opry? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I went to Opry one night and and uh, I was just thinking, boy, that. Well, I've ne- I never heard anybody play harmony to them fiddle tunes. Now, to that one there, anyway, it's a little complicated when you get into the harmony part of it. But after you learn it, it's pretty simple, you know. But anyway, and I'd been at I'd been home that day of rehearsing it, the, the harmony part of it, and we got down to opera that night. I asked Bill, could uh, would he play Patty on the turnpike? And so. And I says, I want to play harmony to it. He said, Shh, ain't nobody going to play no harmony to that number there. <laughs> and I said, well, I says, I've been out there rehearsing. I said, I'd like to, I'd like to try it. 
and he played it, and I just played harmony to it. And he said, where did you learn to do that at? I said, well, I just, just I sing tenor all the time. I said, you ought to be able to play harmony. He said, no, sir, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. <laughs> he says, I've tried to learn that part of it, play that right there. And he said, how did you learn that? And I said, I just rehearsed it, and I just sang the, sang the other part. And he says, what other part? I says, tenor. He says, well, I'm a tenor singer, and I sure can't do this. <laughs> you know? And so he just took a fit, you know, because, because I played harmony with him uh, on that patio on the turnpike, you know. Oh, wow, that's great. And he great. said, I never, I never could do that in my, life, in my whole lifetime. But uh, I learned back then to play harmony and stuff. And, and the reason, I don't know, the reason I got into it is because that was, harmony was all we, me and Sonny and and down uh, recording down through the years, everything and even Bill and and uh, Lester Earl, all of them, every one of them had a, a course to a song, and there was somebody singing tenor or uh, a trio and parts of it all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So we changed the harmony around a little bit. It it uh, it, it, uh, it wasn't like any of the rest of them, you know. And so that that was a, a kind of a a really a, a good thing for us because we didn't want to. I knew that there was no use of me ever trying to sing like Bill Monroe or play the mind of life. I learned, I learned uh, real uh, early that you, they just only wanted him. They they wasn't two of them. It's just one, you know. Right, right. And so, and I I got into got into and I love fiddle tunes and they have a lot of notes and names right there and I. I learned a lot of fiddle tunes and played them on that on the guitar and started playing them on the mandolin and uh, and uh, this time went on that years and years past. Why well, I learned one, why well, I, I want to see what the harmony sounded like. And even right now, some of these real uh, old tunes that's hard to play, the the lead to. Um, I sit down and figure out the harmony to them, you know. And I, I some of them I learned. It's like a waltz. Some waltzes. Uh, I can Kentucky waltz and Tennessee waltz and some tunes like that. Um, I've learned to play all three parts at one time to them, you know. Oh wow! On the mandolin, you know. And so it's, um, it's just it's, it's whatever you want to do with it. It's, it's like like singing. I, you know, I never. Um, I never did. Uh, I never did stop singing. But I, any, anything I wanted to sing, I could. I figured out some way to do it. You know, whether it was a country song or, or what it was. What it was. Now I, I, I'm going. I'm working on a thing right now. Just, uh, uh, did you ever hear the the uh, on YouTube the Don Gibson song I did? Can't stop loving you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. to say So I'll just live my life in dreams Yeah, I'm working on another night now that I that, uh, it's called uh, the uh, Pants Domino was the one, first one I ever heard sing it. He did it rock, rock style at uh, Blueberry Hill, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on that right now and I'm going to do it pretty oh, quick. Wow. That's great. And, uh, That's a classic. Oh, that I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it's a story on 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 Fast Domino now. And, you know, but I I, I enjoyed Fast singing. I, there's something about his singing I liked, and uh, I heard him way back there before. Uh, uh, I drove a cab in Dayton, Ohio, at one time for a while, and uh, on the west side of Dayton was. Uh, a lot of uh, nightclubs and stuff over there. And Pat Stumlin, when he first got started, got, uh, for her, where I could recognize who it was and all like that, you know, but uh, he'd play those clubs over there. And 
I just, I don't know, I just love to sing. He had, had kind of a high voice, he did, really bad. And uh, when I would drive in that cab, cab, if I got me a trip going on the west side somewhere over there, why, if he was playing in a nightclub, and he played some of them little rinky-dink places me and Sonny used to play, you know. <laughs> sure. Held 50 and 100 people or something like that, you know. And But he always wore that big white suit, man. He, he was he was sharp brisk. Uh, anywhere he was at, but anyway, a uh, lot of times if he if I found out he's playing a, a club over there, uh, I would work my way around that cab and get over that side of town and, and find out where he was at. And when he was on stage, I'd park that car and uh, just sit in it and then and, and park it and then listen. And of course, there's so much of a, a bigger crowd and little old places they only, they only seated seventy five or hundred people, you know and People standing out in the street and everything else, watching him sing and listening to him sing. So I used to do that for, I never did meet the guy, but uh, uh, he, he was singing Blueberry Hill right back then, them days. Speaking of songs, you, um, you have recordings of your songs are the official state songs for two states, not just Tennessee with Rocky Top, but also the Kentucky state song. That's a that's amazing. Well, I don't know, you know, who who else has got an official state song? <laughs> that's that's so impressive. Well, you know, uh, it's just uh, when uh, Rocket Top, you know, was just uh, uh, Boodoo and, and Police Bryant were two, I guess, two of the greatest songwriters, and where they wrote, I know, fourteen straight number one hits for the Everly Brothers, you know, and so they. They were some. They wrote. Uh, I think they told uh, interview in an interview on how they, they had written five hundred, five hundred songs that had made the charts for different people to operate. And uh, here's one for you, Daniel. Bobby was once. We sometimes play at the state capitol. Uh, several times we have, but Bobby was once had a request in the state capitol of Kentucky by a state senator to play Rocky Top. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no <laughs> kidding. Tennessee State song. Right, right. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. After everything was just real quiet, just one of these guys <laughs> in the back, Becker, he, he used to sing that Rocky Top one time. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I told him, I said, if you think I'm going to stand here in a, in on the, on the floor of the house of the state of Kentucky, sing a, a rocket top of Tennessee song. I said, I ain't gonna do that. <laughs> I said, I get play, I get thrown out of here. Well, who were some of the? Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned how you kind of blazed your own way. Um, you know, you, like you said, there's only one Bill Monroe, so you had to, you had to, you wanted to become your own self and started, you know, working on the fiddle tunes. Who were some of the fiddle players that you were listening to to help develop? Um, develop your style because you've got a really unique style and I love your album Bobby and his mandolin I bet yeah I listen to that album maybe once a week Yeah, did you have like a favorite fiddle player you like to listen to when you were developing your style? No, I just well, everybody's got a favorite somewhere along. I I, I just uh, with fiddle playing, I guess I anybody that could carry a tune, he was okay in my book. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I listened to Howdy Forster and Benny Martin and uh, Tommy Jackson and Vassar Clemens and some and you know. I I could also I think in my opinion too Hank Garland I can hear his influence in Bobby and I know Bobby looked up to Hank Garland uh, early on before the mandolin um, was that right Bobby you you were into you liked Hank Garland oh yeah yeah he uh, he was a he's a he was man he could he was a up tempo guy I guess what you call him. Uh, 
He really got his name Red Foley recorded a song called The Sugarfoot Rag one time. Get out my sycamore, shine up my shoes, meet my baby and tell her the news. I bet my bundle on a sway back nag, and I came home winning with a plenty of swag. One foot, two foot, slew foot drag, swing your honey to the sugar foot rag. Dig a little jig, then a zig and a zag, and listen to the fiddle play the sugar foot rag. And uh, I ain't played that guitar on that. And uh, the recording did real well. And so uh, everywhere it took. Red Fuller would go while he'd have to do Sugarfoot Rag. And then Hank, everybody found out that was uh, Hank Garland that played that. So they just started, everywhere he'd go, they wanted, they'd want to hear him play that Sugarfoot Rag on that electric guitar, you know. And and uh, he just, everybody called him, he just they practically changed his name to Sugarfoot Garland and it's, <laughs> instead of Hank Garland. Or he played, but he, he was, uh, I've heard a lot of them play with, tell them, say, get Sugarfoot Garland, you ain't, you ain't no guitar player beside him, man. He's he's the best. He's the best. But he was uh, he was he was he was really good. And I got to, got to know him. And he recorded some with me and some, you know, a couple songs. The single note lines uh, that was, in my opinion, one of if not the first departure from the Monroe playing in bluegrass. But the phrasing, that bouncy phrasing. Uh, that, in my opinion, came through Hank, it was total Hank Garland. Um, because nowadays when you hear that, um, some of the aftermath of that, people like Doyle Austin um, and so on that play that way, but when you when you put yourself into 1961 or, or before, when Bobby's doing that, who else was doing it? Nobody else was doing that, to my knowledge, at least on the recordings. I mean, these recordings that, that you made, Bobby, these are... People are going to be listening to these years and years and years from now and being influenced and studying them and playing them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, uh, they're just, uh, we always, I mean, I, 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 I listened to Bill Monroe and, and Lester Flatt and everything. I, I tried my best to sing exactly like Lester Flatt, but uh, I, I got the thing, there ain't no use in doing it. There's only one of them guys. There's only one Mr. Flint, and you, you ain't the second one, you know. So I, 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 I don't know. I tried to sing like different people, you know. And finally, I just, uh, I never, I, I, I never did try to copy Bill. Everybody thinks that, uh, not everybody, you know. But I mean, I've had people said, uh, did you, uh, did you get most of your singing from Bill Monroe? And, and. <laughs> Yeah, what kind of answer are you gonna give a guy that's, that's, that's <laughs> asking that? How would you how would you answer a question like that? Right. If uh, some guy asks you, uh, and if you say no, why he ain't gonna believe you no way? You know. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when uh, when I and I thought I could play Rawhide as good as Bunro played it one time, but. When I got beside him and played it, I found out right there, you're, you're fighting a losing battle now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you took some of those fiddle tunes, though, too, and kind of made them your own. That's the thing. I just, I love the fiddle tunes, but I could take them and fiddle tunes and add, nobody expected you to play them on the mountain much anyway back in, in the early early days. Now that now they are, you know, but uh, uh, I found out I could take a, Take a fiddle tune and, and add a little bit to it here and yonder, and it'd be the same tune, but uh, it would in, in one way and another way it wouldn't be. So, uh, and that's good. Uh, things like that. You, you, you fool around and you found you found one that you uh, that you you do some stuff that you never heard your own self do, and you you that ends when you 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 wrote your one then when you do that. Right, you know? right, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, uh, I just try to. I, I wrote some tunes that's. Uh, I'd, I've, uh, I'd have to go back and learn them again. You know, I'd I'd forget them. You know, but uh, I, I wrote some pretty good tunes, and I'm, the lousy ones, I don't ever get them out. 
<laughs> hey man, you gotta you gotta write some lousy ones to get to the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, what guys, the, the most noted one I was, uh, that I ever recorded with Surefire. It was just it was a simple tune, really, you know, but. Uh, People say, "What are you going to tie? What are you going to name that?" You know, I said, "I don't know." I, I saw Doyle down there one day, and they had—they've got this publishing company. It's called Surefire Music, you know. And so I, I went and asked Doyle. I said, "I wrote an instrumental," and I said, uh, "You wouldn't care if I called it Sure uh, Surefire, would you?" He said, "No." He said, "No." He said, "We'd love for you to do that." So, with their permission, I just called it Surefire. That's what it. <laughs> And it's it's a, it's a catchy title, and I, and I don't play it much anymore because it's I can't play it like it first like I played it first. I can't, <laughs> I can't, play, I can't play it that good no more. So. Well, we've talked about the fern. How about uh, the story? Scott told me you have a great story about how you acquired the lore you own. Uh, well. Uh, I always wanted one of them, even though mine, the fern, is, uh, is, I really didn't know what I had when I got, uh, when I got the little fern. I, I didn't know, I knew it's better than what I was playing on the F-12 Gibson, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, so, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know, there was just something about the fern that had that, something about it that didn't, the F-12 never had it, and most of the mainlands that I've, just played, you know, uh, but he'd had a, he'd had a tone to it that, uh, you just, I don't know, in the way it played and, and, uh, I just, uh, uh, I was, I was, I was thankful that I got a chance to, to buy that mantle, you know, or, you know, because, because Bill Monroe had one, everybody wanted lower, and <laughs> I think they, I know they might have made more lowers than they did turns. I, I don't, I heard that somewhere, but I don't know if they did actually, it or not, but I was wondering one when I'm, and I'm sitting at home one day here, and I lived down in Hendersonville at the time, and I'm just sitting there at the house, the phone rang, I picked it up, and this old boy said, he said, Bobby said, uh, uh, I got your phone number, and he never did, he wouldn't tell me where he got my phone number, you know, and he said, I got your phone number, and he said, I've got a man on it, I'd like to get to have sold for me, and he said, uh, I know what I've got. And I said, where are you at? He said, I'm in Hyde, Kentucky. I, I said, what, what, what's your name? And he told me what his name was and where he lived, you know. And I said, well, I'm, I've been up. I said, have you ever been down there to the festival where we play? And, and uh, well, at that time, I don't think we, we wouldn't do any festival then, I don't believe. And, and he says, yeah, I know, I know all about Hyde. And he said, I'm from here, you know. And he said, I've got this pen on And he said, uh, I, uh, I, I'm going to sell it. And he said, I, I know what I've got. And I said, well, how much do you want for it? And he said, I want $7,500 for it. And back then, man, that was a ridiculous price. <laughs> what year was this? Of, this is in like, this is in what, 1980 or 81? Yeah, 81. I bought it in 1981. Okay. Yeah. okay. And so I told him, I says, well, I'll tell you what. And, and he said, I've been trying to get in touch with somebody at Nashville down there. I said, the operator, the musicians, and they would, they'd help me sell it. And uh, I said, I'm going to come down there. We was going to play down there at the high school in two weeks. I said, just hold off on it two weeks and let me look at it down there. And I said, I, I, might, uh, I might buy it from you. He said, well, I'd rather you get it than anybody because he said, I'd always know where it's at, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, but I, I I always wanted one, and I never I never got a chance to play one uh, to know what they really was, you know. So other than it was just a lower mountain. But uh, uh, two weeks we came down there, played the high school. He brought it down, there and I looked at it and, and played it, and 
Of course, at that time, I couldn't tell no difference from it and any other lower mountain I'd, that I'd seen. So uh, I said, how much? And he told me, he said, I'd like to have 7500 for it. And uh, so I said, well, let me... Uh, let me think about it. And I says, I'll, I'll call you if I take it to you to get it. And uh, he he said, I said, I, I, well, I got home and everything. And he called me or I called him back one or two. And he said, um, he said, I hate to be left without a man on. He said, you got one that you'd trade, that I could trade with. And I said, yeah, I've got a, a good a good man on that. Uh, if you want to take a trade in on it, I says, I'd be interested in, in it that way. And he said, "What do you think is the one that uh, that you've got is it's worth?" I said, "Well, if I was going to sell it, I'd ask I'd ask two thousand for it." And he says, "Well, he said, uh, would you take the uh, get uh, you take your van on?" I said, "Give me your van on and five for the lower." He said, "Would you do that?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow." <laughs> he says, "Okay, <laughs> okay, I, he said, okay, I, I'll do that." And of course, I'm in I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's he's stuck up there up above where the festival is at Hyden, you know. So uh, I said, uh, uh, "You can't, would you want to come over here and do it and do it or what?" He and he says, "No, he said, I, I can't hardly afford." He said, "I he said, the reason I want to sell." He says, "I got that old house here that anybody wants to break in." He says. You don't have to break in. You just walk in. You know. You don't have to do that. He said, "I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose, lose it. Somebody's going to come and steal it." And he said, "I'd rather get the money out of it." And he said, "I can get some work done on my little old house that way." Wow. And I said, "Well," so I said, "Well," and I said, um, "Do you know where the Kentucky Fried Chicken place is in London?" He said, "Yeah." I says, "Can you meet me there in the morning at about four o'clock?" Uh, he said, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I said, okay. I said, meet me there at 4 o'clock your time now. It's on fast time. I said, I'll be there right at 4 o'clock at that place. And I says, I'll bring you the mountain and, and, and a check for 5000 5, for that lower. And I said, you sure you sure it's a lower now? He said, if, if it is, I'll, if you don't think it's what you want, then that's fine. You don't have to take it. He said, but I, he said, I, it's, it's a real, it's a real, real lower. And so I met him right there, and I picked it up and hit about two or three legs on it, and I paid him, and and he went he went home, and I went back home with the lower. When I when I got it, I I heard so much about the lower mantle, I laid my firm down. I laid it down for four years and played that lower mantle. I played it for four years, and so one day I thought, man, I better pick that firm up and see how. I picked it up, and I said, I, uh, I better put the lower back in the case and keep this here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of gear, you also, there's there's Bobby Osborne's signature picks that have been put out from Breezy. Is it Breezy Ridge Instruments? Uh, I'm proud of I'm, I'm proud of those picks right there. They, uh, yeah. they, they really... Scott, I give Scott all the credit to get that deal for us, uh, to run into those people up in, is it Boston somewhere where, where she lives? Yeah, uh, Mary Faith in Pennsylvania. It's uh, It was John Pierce String Company, and it's now Breezy Ridge Picks. She, she owns yeah. the company, and she had them special made for us. Um, how it all started, um, I, I, I have most of, of one of Bobby's picks from the beginning of and. I, I noticed, and he no, noticed that the quality, you know, just kind of disintegrated over each batch wasn't as good. <laughs> sure. But a lot of it was just due to uh, celluloid. The quality, you know, diminished. Like 80s celluloid is way better than today. But that's a whole other, uh, that's a peak discussion show. <laughs> but um, but it all started when we were starting the mandolin roundup at the school, the, the mandolin camp. Uh, we were putting together a little goodie bag care package and Lauren Price Napier who was involved she suggested some of the stuff that could go in and I knew Bobby had his own 
you know, now iconic pick ever in England player knows what it is, that white teardrop with his name on it in black. It's stuck in a lot of the album covers and the old records. You can see the, the pick behind the strings. Yeah. So Bobby had had a small supply, and out of the goodness of his heart, he's like, well, we'll give every, each student one of my picks, and I, that which was great. But it went into the second year. We went from a dozen students to 17 or 18, and, you know, we were going to run out of picks. <laughs> and so um, I just started, I started, I contacted a couple pick companies. Uh, I should first mention blue chip picks. Um, we ran into an issue. We were running out of picks, and uh, I've been using their picks for since the beginning. And uh, I reached out to Matthew Goins, um, and one time only, he made every student uh, that came to the roundup, a, a copy of Bobby's pick, oh, wow. a blue chip pick, and just gave them, gave them to us, you know? And so all the students got one of those. And it says um, roundup number two, or I think it says on it. But anyway, that was, that, that was really saved us. But I had to start working on getting these picks, getting a, a replica of that pick because you can't buy them. You know, only Bobby has them. He had them made um, by an individual. And I think he maybe lost the contacts. But that being said, we thought, let's have this made. I reached out to, uh, I noticed the John Pierce uh, company had a lot of variety of picks, like cool picks, like the Django button. Oh, yeah, the Django button's great. Yeah, lots of cool stuff. So I thought, this is is our cup of tea. They would would maybe take this on. And um, I just, I found a phone number and I called and talked to Mary Faith up in Pennsylvania and she was a huge Bobby fan and she was, she was passionate about making it work. And, um, then, then we, we, you know, we decided those first picks that Bobby had made, I think in the late sixties were the best, far and above the best quality. So Bobby sent her two of those picks and a little time passed and she had, I think she had a company in Japan make, make them and they're almost identical. It's that old celluloid. It's, <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal, but she, she makes them now and she, she just, she donates them to the camp and, and just whenever Bobby needs picks, she's, she sends them to Bobby. So, and I think they're for sale on their website as well, but it's just, just a great story. And then she was at the NAM show in Nashville, I think the year, two years ago, and invited us down, and and Bobby and myself went down on the grounds of the NAM show, and with piles of these picks, and oh, just giving wow. them out to people. Like Sam Bush, uh, he wanted some, he got some, and it was just great to see it happen, and to know that those those picks are out there because they they need to be for sale, you know. Absolutely. Um, they just and now now they are, so we're tickled about that. That's amazing. Well, man, this has been Bobby. I have, I have two more questions for you. This has been, this has been amazing. This has been a true honor to uh, to be able to talk with you like this. And and Scott, thank you for helping facilitate this as well, man. This has been, this has been a highlight. I can't. I just looked at the time. I can't even believe it's almost like uh, nine o'clock my time. <laughs> I'm like, holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have two questions I always ask all my guests, and and the first one is, um, if you just had ten minutes to to tell somebody a piece of advice on what they could work on to get better playing, and they only had ten minutes a day to work on it, what would you recommend somebody doing to practice? Yeah, I'm sure I I I, I go along with that, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> my, mine, I, when I first started trying to play one, I, uh, I couldn't, I didn't lay it down but 10 minutes and I put it back to pick it up again. You <laughs> I'm know? the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, force playing, I mean, I, it, I sat and played 12 straight hours and never, never get up. You know? <laughs> Do you have like a pick exercise or if you know, like a warm up or something like that that you recommend? It just depends on, I don't know, a lot of people, I forgot a lot of things that I used to, that I used to do, but it's, it's been like 10 years if you don't do something, you know, <laughs> sure. and if, if, uh, if you did something good in 10 years ago and you never did hear from it again, why the heck with it? I mean, let's go get something else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, Bob, Bobby, let me ask you this. What, what would you tell one of your students 
that ask you what they could do to get better. That's what you got. You got. You got to. You got to go to sleep with it and get up with it and and think about it all day long. So <laughs> that's hard to do and work too. That's, so. Well, then I got one more question, Bobby, and this is it. And it is, we talked a lot of mandolins, but I'd like to know, it is the Mandolins and Beer podcast. Do you have a favorite beer? When I didn't drink any of it, it was a favorite of mine. I mean, it didn't make no difference what it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the perfect answer right there. I can tell. i tell you one thing. I can tell if if somebody brought any kind of a, a... of a, a beer around me, and and I took a drink. I could tell you which kind it was. I said, <laughs> you know, but it's uh, no, I never. And that's been twenty, almost twenty years ago. I ain't touched it since. Wow. But I, oh uh, yeah. Uh, well, that was a that was a perfect do. answer though. Any beer <laughs> when I was drinking it, they'd all do. <laughs> uh, I was so excited to talk to you, Bobby. I really, really. Appreciate it. I appreciate everything you've done for the mandolin and for the bluegrass world. And I love that you're still so active and still working hard at it. And it, it's inspiring. And uh, I want to really thank you for doing this. I just turned 89, and Jesse, Jesse's three years older than me, you know. Wow. Three or four. He's, he's past 90 now. So, and I just turned 89 and and December, and so I, I'm, I, I still get around. I, I mow my grass and I do everything I need to do around the house here. <laughs> That's great, man. And well, happy belated cool. birthday. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And Scott, thanking you, thank you for also helping put this together. I really appreciate the the both of you taking the time this evening. It's been it's been a a real honor. No, it's been it's been uh, great, Daniel and Bobby. It's yeah. a pleasure just to be a small part of it and uh, to listen as much as anything. I'll be the first one to listen to the podcast uh, to hear. I've I've heard new Bobby Osmond stories on this um, Fats Domino. Mm-hmm. What a connection! Yeah, no doubt. Bobby and Bobby listening to Fats in the taxi cab in Dayton. That's <laughs> so cool, That's cool, man! And, re- and recording yeah. it, recording it all these years later. I can't mm-hmm. wait to hear it. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, yeah. thank you guys so much. Have a great night, Bobby. I hope to. Uh, same to Scott. We haven't been able to ever meet in person, so hopefully here if things get back to normal, uh, I'll make a trip. I'll make a trip that way, and I'd love to say hello in person. Possibly, yeah. possibly we could get you on one of our little uh, collaborations. I collab. would love to do that. Eighty-nine years old, man. What a treasure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, Talk to you all next week. Have yourselves a fantastic rest of the week and weekend. Cheers, everybody.